Last Sunday, as you, some of you may remember, we were just hearing some of what had unfolded about the tragedy in Orlando. And uh, throughout the week that followed, uh, we, some of those facts unfolded before us. 49 people had been killed by the shooter. Um, the deadliest, deadliest shooting in American history. We learned that the shooter selected this particular nightclub because he was targeting gay people. Anytime a group is targeted, it brings fear and is meant to bring fear to that group. For example, it was just this week they had the first anniversary of the shooting in Charleston. And uh, uh, when, when that happened, it made people in all black churches especially feel less safe. They were afraid. It inflicts fear on the entire group. And so as we've had so many of these shootings now in our country, again, my heart breaks. For those who now feel less safe after this attack in Orlando, I have, I have friends and relatives and neighbors who are LGB or T, and some of you may identify that way. Um, and I, and I know that we don't all agree about the morality of same-sex relationships. I mean, I, I understand that. I, but I do know that we're, we're trying to be Christian uh, fully what Jesus expects us and wants us to be. We're trying to understand the Scriptures and, and, and reconcile that with reality as best we can. But regardless of how we may individually come out on that question, I think the important thing now is to say that we condemn it when any group is targeted. Whether it's African Americans or Hispanics or Native Americans, it is, it is evil upon evil when groups are targeted uh, because of whatever factor that they share. Maybe they are Jews or Muslims or Christians. We stand, we condemn the violence regardless of whether you identify yourself as gay or straight, and no matter what bathroom you wish to use. This shooting, like so many before, breaks our hearts because these are our sons and daughters. These are our brothers and sisters. These are our cousins, classmates, co-workers. These are our neighbors, and we love them. And we want to be like Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and we all fit in that category. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this is one of those times when I think all of us have called on you over this last week and, and words just have not been enough. And so we have just sort of laid before you our agonizing hearts and we, we remember, Lord, those family members and friends of those who are killed who've, who've lost the one they loved in, in this tragic, violent way. Oh, Lord, 
We pray that you will not let us be silent, not let us sweep it under the rug as just another unfortunate event. Lord, we pray that you will bless our nation. Help us to be strong in our stand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the second of a three-Sunday series called Strange. Uh, in, so when you belong to Jesus, let me tell you, folks, you are no longer normal. You can forget about being normal. You are strange. You no longer fit into the mold of the world. When you belong to Jesus, you think differently, you act differently, you love differently, you believe differently. So I'm just going to ask you, are you ready to give up being normal? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, are you, you got to be, if you're going to be a deep, daring disciple, you've got to kind of take that step and say, okay, I'll be strange. I'm ready to be strange. Now, over these three weeks, we have a theme verse that I'm bringing up every Sunday, Acts 17, verse 20. Uh, the context is that the Apostle Paul has been talking with the philosophers in Athens, and he tells them about Jesus. And I'm sure he tells them about his, his personal encounter with Jesus. And, uh, and so as he shares, they become curious. And what you see here on the screen is their reply to him. So let's say it together, shall we? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to grab one of the index cards in the pew rack. Copy this verse down, would you? Take it home and, and think about it and pray about it and meditate on it. And, and, uh, because when, when, you, when you belong to Jesus, you're going to be strange, and it's going to create curiosity with people. It's going to create questions, at least for some. And they're going to know, why, why are you so weird? Why, why, do you, why do you act this way? Why do you do things the way you, why are you so committed to this? And it's going to be the same kind of response that Paul got. Well, this is kind of strange, but we're kind of interested too. We're curious. We'd like to know a little more. Now, last Sunday, uh, we looked at strange joy. And uh, by the way, you can view that. If you missed it, you can view it on our website or our Faith Westwood app, which is actually where most people are watching it these days. Uh, today, we're talking about strange hope. Now, I grew up in a time when people had hope in the progress of humanity, right? I mean, wasn't that kind of normal? And, and you, when you had hope in the progress of humanity, you believe that tomorrow would always be better than today. Progress. But now, most Americans don't believe that. Most Americans believe that life for their children will not be as prosperous as it was for them. I mean, this has never happened before in American history. The people, Americans believe that, that uh, the next generation will not have a better life. We're also learning that many uh, young people who hurt others or hurt themselves are dealing with hopelessness. 
That's a big part of their lives, hopelessness. According to one study, 30, pardon me, 30% of high school students experienced extended periods of sadness and hopelessness just last year. A few months ago, I was visiting with uh, one of the staff members over at Central Middle School next door, who, one, somebody who's been there for nearly 20 years. And I asked her, you know, what has she seen? How, how are things different now than when she first began? And she said, well, it's a lot different. Um, she said that, well, there are, there are more behavior issues now than there were uh, those years ago. And the students seem to overall have less self-control. And, and I asked her why, and she said, well, it, she wasn't sure. She said it partly might be due to less parental involvement in some cases. Uh, some of it may just also be due to the changing culture. Yeah, I also talk with, uh, on occasion, with some uh, who are kind of my parents' age and older, and I talk, I find that there's a lot of, I mean, kind of a hopelessness sometimes there, too. Um, you know, it comes from, well, they've lost so much in their lives. Maybe they've had to move out of their houses or they've, they've lost family members to death or they've lost friends and they've, they've lost so much of their health and vitality and, and sometimes they wonder if life is worth it anymore. They've just lost so much. Marriages die many times for lack of hope. Uh, there's hopelessness among uh, many singles about their future. Parents feel oftentimes hopeless about their kids, and kids oftentimes feel hopeless about their parents. I've been reading the book of Malachi lately. It's the, the last book of the Old Testament, and it ends with a word of hope and warning. And the hope is that God promises to send a, the prophet Elijah, or at least somebody like Elijah, to them. And the New Testament identifies John the Baptist as that person. And the last verse of Malachi says that when this prophet comes, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents. I was, I've just been kind of thinking through that lately, and I thought, you know, that's when you know that a culture is falling apart, when the hearts of the parents have turned away from their children. And in return, the hearts of the children have turned away from their parents. God used John the Baptist to turn people in a new direction, and he pointed them to Jesus. And, and I want you to know that's what we're about. At Faith West, we're here pointing people to Jesus. Jesus will give you a new direction. He will give you a new destination. He will give you hope. I remember when I was in high school, middle school and high school, I, I was angry a lot. I was, I was frustrated with myself and my family and my life. And, and I, you know, I was still doing okay, I guess, on the outside. I mean, I was getting decent grades, and I wasn't really getting into any trouble, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy about me. I, 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 was, I was lost and confused. God, who knows where God was? God didn't seem real. And I was, my attitude kind of in life was, oh, well, who cares? But then I saw that Jesus was changing lives. 
And I thought, wow, is this real? Is this true? I became curious. And, and, and after a while, I dared to believe that Jesus was reaching out to me, that he wanted to come into my life and, and help me and change me. And, I, and I, I knew I needed something. I needed what it seemed he was helping other people with. And so I said, yeah, Lord, here I am. Take me. And just as he promised, Jesus has changed my life. And he is still changing my life. Uh, at age 16, uh, he began to infuse me with hope. I had, I had hope because God was now in charge of my life. Right? God was now directing my path. Jesus was my friend, my Savior, my Lord, who was walking with me every step of the way. And if I messed up along the way, which I did a lot of times, he was always there to pick me up and help me start over. Now, I, I've experienced this infusion of hope, but I want you to know that I'm not always hopeful. Okay? I, that didn't, I, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of periods of discouragement. I get discouraged sometimes about my situation. I get discouraged about myself. Uh, but, I keep, but I keep clinging to Jesus. And I have found that over and over, he has brought me out of that discouragement and back into hope. Life is hard. Life can be so discouraging. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Somebody you trust betrays you. Life, you know, sends you on some detours. You go, I never expected that to happen. But when you walk with Jesus, let me tell you, you are like a sheep who has a shepherd. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Let me tell you, that is a promise of hope. You know, someday... God is going to renew all things. God's going to restore creation. Nature's going to be brought back into its uh, peaceful harmony. Heaven and earth are going to be merged into one beautiful paradise. No more tornadoes and terrorists. No more cancer or political campaigns. Hallelujah. No more, no more tears or human trafficking. On that day, God is going to transform our frail mortal bodies into resurrection bodies. Our souls will be purged of sin. Let me tell you, that is our future. That is our hope. Please open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 22. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1133. Uh, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't... If you don't have a Bible of your own, just take that pew Bible home today, would you? It's yours to keep. We'll stick another one in later. That's fine. Now, uh, right before verse 22, Paul is talking about how creation is in bondage to decay. That's what Marilyn read for us a little bit ago. Everything dies, right? All living things die. But one day, God's going to liberate creation from, from its bondage to death and decay. And he speaks here about creation anthropomorphically. Verse 22, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, what's Paul talking about there? About creation groaning. 
I don't know. He doesn't say. Maybe he's thinking of earthquakes and locust plagues and droughts and floods and storms at sea. He, like, like these are the pains of the earth that the earth is experiencing. But like labor pains, he says, they're pains of hope because something new will one day be birthed. And then in verse 23, he says that we who belong to Jesus are also groaning in anticipation for what is to come. Let's look at that. Not only so, and so not only creation is groaning, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning we, we belong to Jesus, he's filled us with the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly, but we wait expectant, eagerly. That's our hope. See, one day we're going to receive our new resurrection bodies. We are going to be set free from death and decay. And not only do we have hope for that life, we also have hope in this life. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, <laughs> yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I don't know about you, but I keep getting older, you know? And, uh, and I, I think about this physically, what, what is it that awaits me? You know, uh, if, I, if I'm fortunate enough to live another two or three decades or more, I mean, I, I'm, what, am I gonna, what have I got to expect? More aches, more pains, less energy, less mobility. But I have this hope. Inwardly, God is renewing me. Emotionally, I believe that God is helping me get healthier all the time, at least most days. Spiritually, I, I'm, I'm deepening my relationship with the Lord. Relationally, I, I believe that I am able to better give love and receive love now than when I was young. As a disciple, I find Jesus is challenging me to, to follow him in ways that I'd never even considered before. I mean, what an adventure. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Now, what is hope? There are a lot of good definitions out there of hope. And uh, I'm going I'm to take a stab at one here. It's, it's short and simple. Here it is. Hope is a confident, resilient outlook on the future. Let's try that and say it together, shall we? Hope is a confident, resilient outlook on the future. Now, hope is always forward-looking, right? Uh, it's always, you know, it's not hope isn't looking back so much. It's looking ahead. Uh, but I don't want to, every week I am tempted to worry about preparing for my Sunday message. I mean, I don't always worry, but I'm tempted to. Some, because, you know, I start working and, man, my brain just gets in a fog. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get my thoughts together and I'm going, oh, man, I don't, 
I don't know what's going on, and I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm going to come here on Sunday. I'm going to give a muddled message. I, you know, I'm going to bore people with the gospel. I mean, how terrible would that be? But I look back, and I see that God has been faithful week after week after week after week for about three and a half decades. You think I could start trusting him by now? <laughs> I can, and I'm becoming more confident all the time. And hope is resilient. Resilience means you bounce back. Kind of like I showed with the kids in that toy. You bounce back. Sometimes life smashes you down, but you bounce back. Sometimes you just feel like your life has been a train wreck, but you bounce back. Hope doesn't give up. Hope doesn't quit. Hope is a confident, resilient outlook on the future. And that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants to increase your hope. He wants to help you increase your confident, resilient outlook on the future. And hope is based on one profound fact. God is good. I mean, that's where it all starts. God is good. Without it, there is no hope. With it, there is always hope. Do you know that? Do you know the little back and forth uh, refrain that that kind of came out of African American churches? Let's try it. Um, God is good all the time. All, the time. God is good. all right, let's try it again. You're getting the hang of it. God is good all the time. All, the time. God is good. all right. With that. There is hope. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet is speaking to people who have lost their homes. They, they've been deported. They, uh, many of their relatives have been killed in the war. Uh, they're, they're refugees, far from home. And in verse 31, Isaiah tells them, and I'm going to read the white words and you read the purple ones and we'll do it back and forth. Those who hope in the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk. That's hope, isn't it? That's hope. That's confidence. That's resilience. And it's based on the profound fact that God is good. In, uh, in just over two years, we have sent four mission teams to Tarasas, a slum area in Costa Rica. Our teams work alongside a missionary couple there, uh, originally from Argentina, named Horacio and Esther. They, uh, Horacio and Esther serve among people who are starved for hope. Now, they started years ago I think they started meeting with, with children in the neighborhood uh, in somebody's backyard, and they did that for a while, then they couldn't do that, and they sometimes would meet along the sides of the street, just have this little club for the kids, and they would sing some songs, they'd have a Bible lesson, and then uh, Horacio and Esther would help them with their homework and just develop a relationship with them, and, and, uh, and they love these kids. They absolutely love these kids. They believe in these kids. And now Faith Westwood and, the, and other partners are helping Horacio and Esther 
to expand that little mission center that they've been working out of for a few years, uh, who they call a Bible school. Here's one of my favorite pictures from the trip that I was on a couple years ago. Um, we did some painting on the building, but you can see those flowers there um, along the base of the porch. One of, our, one of our members did the outlining of the flowers, but you know who painted the flowers? It was the kids. It was the children there in Tarasas. Something new is springing up in that neighborhood. It is becoming an oasis of hope in a desert of despair. Our team also visited some homes uh, of the people who come and bring their kids to the, to the Bible school. And, and uh, I remember one particular mother that we visited was named Sarah. Uh, we had met her, I think, the day before. And uh, this isn't her, this picture is not her house, but it's one kind of like it. It's the picture I had. And I think in this particular picture, I mean, a half a dozen of us couldn't even get in the house. It was that small. The entire living area for Sarah and her four children was smaller than my kitchen. It had a corrugated sheet metal roof. Sarah was so delighted to receive us. She was just filled with smiles and gratitude. And, and, and we also knew that Sarah had recently been diagnosed with, with cancer. And the next week, Esther was going to go with her to her medical appointment. As we went to each of these homes, we, we brought a small gift of food, just as sort of a gesture of friendship. And I'm not exactly sure what all it was, maybe a bag of rice and maybe some dried beans, a few cans of fruit or something. But we visited a little bit, and then uh, we prayed a prayer of blessing for Sarah and her home and her children and for her health. And that one small gesture seemed to increase her hope. And it was kind of an amazing thing for us who experienced it because we realized if God can give Sarah hope in her situation, then God can give us hope whatever our situation. But I want you to know too that hope is never automatic. Hope happens when we listen to God, right? Hope happens when we listen to God. One of the great prophets of the Bible was Elijah. Uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he challenges 450 prophets of the idol Baal. Some of you remember that story. I'm not going to go through all of it, but uh, God comes through in a big way and brings fire down on Elijah's altar and the sacrifice that he lay, had laid upon it. And, and after that, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are just furious with Elijah, and they're determined to capture him and to kill him. So Elijah takes off running. At one point, Elijah is just ready to give up. It's just become too hard. His hope is gone. He says, God, just let me die. I'm, re I'm ready to go. Just let me die. And he says, and besides, Lord, I'm all alone. I'm the only one who's still faithful to you. And then God speaks to Elijah in what we call sometimes the still small voice or maybe the, the quiet whisper, the inner voice. And God tells Elijah, you are not alone. 
there are 7,000 others who have not bent the knee to Baal. There are 7,000 others who have not worshipped that idol. And it's just what Elijah needs to hear. It renews his hope. You see, hope happens when we listen to God. You are not alone. Maybe at times you feel like Elijah that you are alone, but God in his whisper says, you are not alone. Listen. Listen. Listen for the hope. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. This morning we uh, just say we are ready to... (laughs) pour out to you all of the hopelessness in our lives and the discouragement that we sometimes feel and say, Lord, we we don't want to live this way any longer. We need the hope that you can bring to our lives. Lord, we ask that you will give us this confident, resilient outlook on the future. Help us to know that it is based not on our situation but on your goodness alone. And so, Lord, we turn to you And ask that you will give us a hope that the world does not understand. A strange hope. A hope that comes from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.